Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 92 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today I had the privilege to talk with Dimitra, Eleni's mom. Eleni was a girl with a beautiful soul that I so appreciate and I know that you will too. She loved everything. She loved life. The thing that Demetra says that she wants people to remember about her daughter is that she was able to see beauty in absolutely everything. Things that are normally thought to be beautiful, like a flower, but also things like a pile of dirt, which might not seem beautiful to very many people at all. But Eleni saw beauty in everything. I just love talking to Demetra so much that I went a bit over on our interview time today, so I did have to do some editing. If you'd like to see the full version, you can see that on video on my new YouTube channel. That's the Always Andy's Mom YouTube channel. On it, I am also going to post some little videos of Eleni so you can see a little bit more of her personality in that as well. Also, be sure to follow me on other social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I recently hired someone to help me do that social media, so you may see me being a bit more active on social media as well. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. Dimitra, I am really excited to talk to you about Eleni today. Thank you so much, Marcy. I'm very excited to talk to you as well and share our story. Well, I feel like it's worth mentioning how you came to be on the podcast today because I think it's kind of funny. And like I said to you a few minutes ago, a little bit backwards. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and tell that at the very beginning? During my grief group that I do with Sick Kids, I... In Toronto, which we've had a few guests on, Sick Kids Toronto. Amazing hospital in Toronto here. Through my grief group, I did um, some... A parent had said something about your podcast, Marcy Larson's podcast. I needed something else to to listen. Like, I like listening to things as well. So I was doing a little bit of reading, but then I started listening to your podcast. You know, I listened to it in the mornings, in the afternoons, anytime I could. I just loved every episode. And then from there, I had heard of a gentleman named Jerry. Who was a guest on the show. Who was a guest on Marcy's show. And he had a daughter named Bella. So I heard his um, interview with you, Marcy. And then afterwards, he had... And he was just starting his own podcast as a little... Which Mm -hmm. I thought was really cool as well, because I said, oh my gosh, okay, like, let me give his podcast a try. And then, of course, Marcy was on his podcast as a a guest one day. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of cool, like both little worlds kind of collided, right? So I was like, okay, this is cool. So I I started listening to his as well. I started following him on Instagram, I believe, the the Nameless Minority. And I also became a friend of Marcy on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then I get a, a message from him one day saying, you know, like, 
would you ever consider coming on my show and sharing your story? I was very intimidated, but I said, you know what? I think I can do it. It's a little bit of like Eleni. She's with me all the time. And it's kind of like her nudging me and saying, you can do it, mama. Come on, you can do it. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm doing things that are really out of my element. So now I'm on on your show. <laughs> yeah. So what happened then? You went on the show and then you tagged me on yeah. Facebook to listen. Well, I think and- we're friends, Marcy. <laughs> yeah. Then I listen and I'm like, what? And you started out on his show saying, well, I'm on your show because I listened to Marcy's. And I thought. Yeah, but you never wrote to me to ask to be on my show. So I thought this is a little backwards. But you know what? You're on Jerry's show first. It's all But now I see. So he pushed you a little bit and I didn't push you. So yes, he kind of sent me a little message on the side saying, you know, would you consider? And I was like, I think I can do it. And you did great. I don't know who that was. I was very proud of myself. We all get each other right? Like Mm -hmm. that's what these podcasts are about. It's people getting each other, right? And speaking from the heart. I really think, I don't think about what I say anymore. I just speak from my heart. And, you know, even for doing this podcast or doing Jerry's podcast, I don't really, I didn't prepare anything. You know, I'm a pro at this. I know her story. Well, why don't you tell us about your great, wonderful, awesome daughter, Eleni? She was just an amazing, amazing, she was my little person. Let's just call Mm -hmm. her that. She was like the mini me. Um, She was sarcastic. She was funny. She was very stubborn. She was just honestly the glue to our family. Like my son Mm -hmm. just adored her. He was four and a half. My son's name is Dino and he's 16 now. Um, He was 15 when she passed. He loved her to bits, you know, mm-hmm. he was four and a half and he would bring me her diapers. He would give her her pacifier. He would giggle and laugh and just bugger and tease her. And, you know, and like, she was the happiest baby. I had my son who was the most colicky baby in the world. I believe we could mm-hmm. not sleep with him. We could not eat with him. We could not do anything. He just wanted to be bounced. He just wanted motion he wanted and he was just still crying like it was like non-stop that reminds me of my peter he was really an awful baby too just i don't awful. know is it maybe us not knowing what we're doing I well was- peter was my last one actually oh there he was yeah. one and he was kind of a nightmare really i mean right. but you know what benelletti came she was born may 31st 2009 she was a you like she was just amazing like after Adino she was not a problem at all she yeah. would just sit in her little bouncer you know her little tiny little bouncer and she would just be happy and she would sleep and eat and just sleep again and I'd be like what is going on like this is amazing well why don't you talk about Eleni a little bit and her medical struggles and kind of when that started a little bit. So she was seven and we were on a family vacation. She'd get out of the water in the ocean and and it was like she'd be freezing and we'd be like, but it's so hot outside, honey. How are you so cold? But you could physically see how cold she was. She was Mm -hmm. shaking. Her little body was shaking. Her little lips were kind of turning like purplish color. Just freezing. So we would wrap her up and try and, you know, keep her in the sun and at that time, it was like 40 degrees, as we were mentioning, um, mm-hmm. which is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And so I said, like, my husband actually said to me, let's take her to the pediatrician. When we come back, we have a really great pediatrician here. 
for both my kids. So we ended up taking her back to the pediatrician. I booked an appointment and stuff and they did blood work. And it was not a fun experience, but her hemoglobin levels were very, very high off the charts. And they're like, you know, something's wrong. The pediatrician's like, we got to redo the test. Like, I don't think it's a good sample that we got. It may be clotted or something like that. Right. That's what I would think. Sure. We redid the test again and they realized, oh my gosh, the numbers are really that high. We have to send you to sick kids. So we went to sick kids, hematology clinic, and they are an amazing, amazing hospital. They did check her oxygen level levels, um, which had never been done before. And they were really, really low. They were 73%. Mm -hmm. um, And that really shocked the doctor. And he said, Oh, like something's going on here. We have to do more testing, more this, more that. And what they found was she had a condition. She has a condition called HHT. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Marcy. I had not. No. Okay. So this is a condition that I I was saying a lot of doctors don't know about. And I think we need to be more like maybe just bring it to the forefront and let people know. And this is partly why I'm Mm -hmm. also doing the, you know, this interview as well, that this stuff exists, right? So it is hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia. She did have like little tiny veins on her face, like little tiny red. They look like spider veins, kind of like little tiny Mm -hmm. things. I had taken her to a a dermatologist pediatrician and Mm -hmm. a couple of times. And they said, you know what? It seems fine. It seems fine. Not a big deal. She also had one thing, actually. She had a little, we thought it was like a wart from maybe the pool that summer Mm -hmm. because you were public pool, you know, you get those sometimes. And that one time when she was, I would say... She was three years old when they called me at work. The daycare called me and said, oh my God, it's bleeding and it won't stop. So that was, a, that was one thing looking back now, but sure. I, I, I left work. I rushed to the pediatrician's office, but when I had gotten to the daycare, I saw all the blood on the ground, like on, they were trying to tidy it up and towels and paper towels. And I think all of the daycare staff were ready to faint. Um, you know, I, I had said, elevate it, put pressure on it, do this, do this, do this. I had telehealth on the other line, talking with them as well, trying to figure out whatever. By the time I got there, it was still bleeding, but I take her to the pediatrician, which was not far, you know, it had stopped and it was like, Oh, okay. Like that's weird, but we'll send you to another dermatologist to check that out, which we did. And they just, he didn't really find anything. Like he didn't really think it was anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was just a couple little things. She always had this purpley red lips, dark, dark red lips, and they would turn like a, you know, a bluish color when she would get cold. And she did get cold a lot in the winters here. So of course I would bundle her up. I would layer her up. We wouldn't keep her outside very, very long. We just did everything we thought we needed to do for her. Yeah. So she was diagnosed at the age of seven with HHT. And that led us, for her, it was in her lungs. So people can have this condition. It's about one in 5,000 people, I think, now that that get it. You can live with it. For her, it was in her lungs. So both her lungs were affected with arterial venous malformations. You can maybe describe it better. Yeah, so arterial venous malformations are when, so normally your arteries come from your heart 
you know, you've got big arteries and then they go to small arteries and then they go to arterioles, those are the smallest arteries, and then they go to your capillaries. And your capillaries are where, you know, oxygen in the lungs is either like picked up or in the rest of the body is let go. So that's where the oxygen exchanges and then they go up through venules and veins and then back up. And so in a lung, you that should be the process that you go through all of those tiny little capillaries in the lungs and that's where you pick up all the oxygen. And for her, if or if you have these AVMs, then it skips that part. So it goes straight. It's like a little shunt. So it goes straight from the artery to the vein. So now you've got this blood that was supposed to have picked up oxygen and it just didn't. So it bypassed that, which is why her oxygen levels were low. And normally, if you or I had oxygen levels down into the 70s, we would look terrible. We would look awful. We would feel awful. We may not even be conscious. It would be awful. But when you live like that, you can get used to it. And what her body did is her body decided to make a ton more hemoglobin, a ton more red blood cells. So there were just loads of red blood cells, way more than normal, because the red blood cells are what pick up the oxygen. And so your body's thinking, well, if I just make a bunch of them, then even though a smaller percentage of them pick up the oxygen, we can still get oxygen to the body to function. Yeah. So that's kind of a little description as to the little bit of reasoning behind how that works. Mm-hmm. And so when they diagnosed her with that, we were more for like in the respiratory clinic at SickKids. We had our doctor, we had our clinic, we would go there. Um, mm-hmm. They did have an actual HHT clinic in SickKids. Wow, that's amazing. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. I actually went to a conference, an HHT conference where her doctor actually spoke about um, children with HHT, which was amazing. And I learned a lot. You know, it was a full day conference kind of thing. And I had my neighbor, Helen, who was a former nurse as well, a pediatric nurse. She honestly has been my lifesaver throughout this, because if I had a question, I could ask Helen. And Lenny adored Helen. We'd go to her backyard, have like a garden little tea or like, and Lenny even made her own little garden in Helen's garden. And Helen does not let anybody touch her garden. So you know how special this girl is and always will be. She still has the garden she'll be planting this year and I'll be helping her a little bit. So we were with Respiratory Clinic. From there, we looked at options. What could we do? One of the options was a lung transplant. That's what a double lung transplant is what they had brought up as a option. Mm-hmm. My heart sank. Yeah, that's scary. And I haven't really talked to anybody about this. You know, it's not something I bring up, but my heart couldn't handle that. But you know what? In the end, I kind of said to myself, it's not up to me. It's kind of up to her. So I would never tell her what exactly everything entails, but she was a very smart girl. She was very, very smart. And she would ask the questions and she knew what to ask. And one day we're laying in bed and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think about it, but I said to her, honey, what if, you know, I could tell you, we could give you like a new set of lungs. Like, what if I told you that? And she goes, no, mama. She's like, I don't want to switch my lungs. I love my lungs. They're my lungs. They're part of me. She's like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I went, that is kind of a perfect Eleni answer. And I said, I don't think that's the right way to do it. For us, I said, I don't 
you know, my heart was telling me like, that's not really, because it's a long process. It's not just you get the lungs, the transplant, and you know, there's the waiting list, there's the process of it, there's the going back into the hospital all the time, you know, a lot more stuff happening to you afterwards. And when I heard the actual like, I said, what's the prognosis like? And it was not very good to me. It like, it didn't sound great for me mm-hmm. for our situation. Cause he said, you know, after five years, about 50% survive. And I went, what? This isn't even a long-term solution. This is a, you know, and it kind of went down from there after mm-hmm. six years, 40% after, you know, like, I'm not sure if I got the numbers correct, but it just was like, oh my God, no, I can't put her body through that. And I can't put her through that. And she made that decision. So I said, what else can we do? So um, we decided on, the doctors decided on embolization procedures. It's a procedure under x-ray through image-guided therapy. And they go in through the groin, a little vein, and go in and go into the lungs and try to put these platinum coils to kind of keep the oxygen where it's supposed to go instead of dispersing into the lungs. Mm -hmm. But because she had a lot of AVMs, they had to do it in like a couple steps. They could not do it all together because of Mm -hmm. your body being under x-ray for so long. It's not so good. And anesthesia so long, right? So we did try that. We did that 2016, December, and then we did another one in March. And then in May, it didn't help all that much. It helped a little bit at first, you know, the doctors kept monitoring her. We kept going into clinic, just checkups and this and that. From there, she started using oxygen therapy as well. They kind of said, you know, can she put it on at night? Or can she use a little bit, you know, during the day when she's sitting watching TV or something? Not all the time, just when you can. So we started... We Just started, so her body doesn't have to work quite so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started doing that as well. Me and the teacher sat down. We had a group with the kids. We said, you know, any questions, this is what it looks like. This is what she'll be having. At that point, she had a tank. Like, she just had a little tank beside her. She wasn't using too, too much. She was wearing the little, na- like, the little mask. You know, kids were very, very empathetic and very mm-hmm. sweet and kind, which I did not expect I think we're raising our kids kind of right now. I think kids were a lot meaner in my day. And I was like, well, and I think when you explain it to them and you take that mystery out and that, what's that for? What is that thing? If you just tell them, they usually do pretty well. It's when you don't. And then they, then they're trying to talk between each other and trying to figure out what's going on. So when you're straightforward like that, I think they can be really quite caring and. I think what I was trying to avoid, Marcy, was the fact that I didn't want them asking her questions all the time. Yeah. Just because you're using oxygen therapy, that doesn't mean that should be your life. That's something she needed extra help is what I said to them. She needs a little bit of extra help. You know, her lungs are a little bit different. So, you know, it's just extra air. That's Mm kind of how I was putting it to them, right? And, you know, you have the cute little comments of, oh, my grandpa used one of those before. (laughs) Right so cute. And I was like, yes. And then they were just kind, but you know what, with her personality, she loved everybody and everybody loved her. And she was like the kindest person in the world. So they were kind to her as well. Mm -hmm. And she did also start using a wheelchair. So we got her the most awesomest purple wheelchair, which she named Zippy. It's got a, like the remote at her hand and she's zipping around and she would like drive that thing like she was on like 
a racetrack, which is really funny because she didn't like a lot of like fast motion or stuff. But when she was in control, she would race the kids around the school track when she first got it. It was the <laughs> cutest thing. And one of her friends was like, he's the most beautiful boy in the world too. Um, he was just like, I remember racing her around the track the first day and like, she beat me like, and yeah. I'm good. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. I'm in track. Like every year I'm in track, but she beat me with the zippy. So, and she loved that, right? She loved, mm -hmm. she loved that. So that also brought us into Holland Bloorview, which is a, like a rehab hospital here in Toronto as well. Um, and we started doing programs in the hospital, in that hospital because she did robotics. She loved robotics and she would go with her friend. She felt normal, right? Sure. You yeah. go in, it's fully accessible. Everything is aimed for these children with disabilities. And you see different kids. You see kids with all differences. And she thought it was awesome. She did not see anything wrong or anything bad about that. She wanted everybody to look at people with disabilities as this is awesome. People first. Yep. Yes. Don't look mm -hmm. at what I'm using. Don't look at, you know, there was one time at school where I had taken the day off because it was picture day. And I thought, you know, she was having a hard time going in and stuff. So I thought I'm going to take the day off. She feels really comfortable with me. I'm going to bring her in. I'm going to make it fun. Right. So I brought mm -hmm. her in and I took her to do the pictures and she had Zippy with her there. And I said, honey, do you want to use Zippy? And do you want Zippy in the picture? Or do you want to like come over to the bench with the children? Right. She had the oxygen mm -hmm. as well. So it's just maneuvering everything, right? And she said to me, no, mama, she goes, I'll come to the bench. Like, I'll come sit in the front row with the kids. So I said, okay, honey, we, und you know, she undid her belt. She gets off the wheelchair. She walks a few feet over to the little bench and sits down on the bench. But all, all I heard was this child say, oh my God, you can walk? My heart sank mm -hmm. because I know she heard it and I heard it. And I looked at the little kid and I said, you know what? Of course she can walk. I said, she just needs the wheelchair to help her, you know? Right. And I tried to just, but that really hurt me, you know, and it hurt yeah. her. I could tell because people make assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. So she would try and prove those assumptions wrong. And she would just, you know, just because I use something that doesn't mean I can't do something else. And she would, right. prove, she would prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. You think mm -hmm. I can't do this? Okay, well, look, I am doing it. You know, I may do it differently, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it the best way I can. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but having a wheelchair did make life a little bit more difficult for us. It made it easier and a little bit more difficult yes. as well, because you're navigating a world that is not the same as your world before. When you don't, use a wheelchair or you don't have a child who uses a wheelchair you don't think about steps and how are you going to get up the steps or can the wheelchair fit in the doorway or you know because this thing was 350 pounds right it was right. Not, it was not light <laughs> so right. yeah we ended up getting a um an accessible van which I worked really hard for because I said she needs this like we, yeah. we need this. It will make our life easier. Starlight Foundation here had rented us a van for her wish trip to drive down to Florida to Disneyland. And we realized, oh my God, the difference having a accessible van made in your life. She could just drive it right in. Like it was right. fantastic. And she had her zippy with her. 
we fought hard to get a van and I did all the paperwork, which is just a ridiculous amount of paperwork for all the different March of Dimes, um, Easter Seals. There was a Holland Bloorview family fund. We also started a little GoFundMe page and all our friends helped out because they knew she needed this. It is a big process. I'm helping work on that with a family right now in my office and it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend as well who's looking into a van right now for her son. And I said, I will help you in any way possible. Like Mm -hmm. I got really lucky and I was able to get all the funding that I had applied Mm -hmm. for. Like you you have to really prove it. And I think for us, the big proof was the oxygen. And that helped me for the funding because I said, I cannot, I already had TTC wheelchair accessible, you know, like a support person pass and everything. But I was like, she can't be outside waiting in the cold. You know, she's got this condition and her levels, her oxygen levels literally drop like crazy if she's out in the cold. You you have to time it, right? If you're using oxygen, you're using tanks. How many tanks can you possibly bring with you, right? If you're going, just holding them, you know what I mean? So it was quite the process. But last April, we were able to get our van, uh, accessible van, which she named Vanita. So she I love her names. She has great names. She's so clever. (laughs) Like Uh she had that little wit to her, right? Her little tablet, her iPad was called Tabby the Tablet. Yeah, just an amazing kid. But so we got the van. And um, sadly, we weren't able to do as many trips as we'd like to have done. Sure, because of the pandemic, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what happened there when you got afterwards, kind of towards the end then? I'll go to October, 2019. She had a baby, a baby molar tooth that was wiggly for a couple of days. It started bleeding and it kind of wouldn't stop. Like we were like, what is going on with this tooth? Like, you know, she'd never lost a baby molar tooth before, but it was just kind of clinging on, you know, and it was bleeding on and off, on and off. She was trying to drink water. It would start bleeding. She was trying to nibble on some food. It would start bleeding. So she kind of was really like, she was scared to eat a little bit. She was scared to drink anything, you know, anything kind of set it off. It was a Friday afternoon and I had told her we can go to her friend's house, which is our mute, like my friend's daughter. And that was a little ways away, like 45 minutes. And because of her tooth, I said, honey, let's not go today. I said, you know, we can do it another day. I said, look, your tooth and this and that and whatever. And she said, mama, when's it going to stop? And I said, honey, I'm hoping that when it comes out, it should stop. Like I thought, yeah, I literally thought it would stop. So what did she do? It was, it was just barely hanging on and she actually pulled it out, which right. uh, she would never have done that, but she wanted to go to her friend's house so badly that she's right. like, I'm just going to get rid of this problem. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So right. She, mom thinks it'll stop. If it comes out, let's take it out. Yeah, she, she did. We put some gauze on it. She held on to it. We're driving to, I said, honey, you don't want to stay home. Nope. Let's go. So I said, okay, so we're, we're driving along and stuff, traffic and this and that, and it starts bleeding again. And I literally, like, I saw an ambulance driver just pull like on the side at a gas station. And I pulled up beside him and I said, look, do you have something that would stop this? Because it's like been nonstop and I don't know why it's still bleeding. He gave me a bunch of gauze, really nice guy. He was eating his lunch. I disturbed his lunch and uh, he gave me all this gauze and stuff. And I, I was on my way again. Right. And I'm like, honey, shall we just go home? Nope let's go. I took out my tooth. Let's go. So we go to her friend's place and she was just tired. She just wanted to watch a movie. It had been two days nonstop with this stupid tooth. Right. So that night we come home and she fell asleep 
in my arm, like she kind of fell asleep with me on the couch because we were scared with, with this, if it started again, it would go all over. So it actually started again, middle of the night, like two o'clock in the morning. And, and she kind of like fainted in my arms. She was exhausted and she had lost the blood and she just fainted in my arms. And I quickly called, like called 911 and the ambulance came and checked her out. By this point, she seemed okay, but we said, we got to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, We brought her to the hospital and she was, I'd never seen so many doctors run so fast, which she was okay at this point. You know, they were giving her extra oxygen and stuff, but I had never really seen all that before. She had gone into like a hemorrhagic shock. Her little body couldn't handle all the oxygen, like all the blood that she had lost. And I think all the oxygen that she wasn't getting. Well, she was used to living with a lot of blood, yeah. you know, and so she loses some. She doesn't have a lot of reserve, you know, Mm -hmm. because the lungs just don't work like they should. So I can see her reserve would be low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we were in, (laughs) they put us in ICU, which I was like, what? ICU? Like what? For a tooth. Yeah. Like Uh baby molar tooth. How did this happen? She's going to have more in the future. Like, what am I going to do? So we end up, we're in ICU for about a week in which we met the PAC team. They are the pediatric advanced care team at SickKids and they are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They were beautiful. They said, we'd love to have a meeting with you and your husband and find out about Eleni. What does she like? What does she want to do? What is her goal? I said, she loves art. She loves drawing. They said, we'll bring the art therapist. They, I said, you know, they said, what about massage therapy? I'm like, oh my gosh, she would love a massage. I'm sure. Let's give it a shot. Right. So she had her massage therapist, Shannon, who she absolutely adored music therapy. And Lenny loves music. She loves, loves, loves music so much so that we would have like Sunday karaoke nights with my friend Jane and they would sing Taylor Swift. And they would sing Selena Gomez songs. And mm-hmm. Sean Mendez was her favorite. When she had heard that Sean Mendez came to Sick Kids Hospital and she missed it, oh, <laughs> she was so upset, I tell you. And she was mad at the child life specialist there because she's like, You got to meet him and you never told me. She's like, Honey, this was back in the day. Like, this wasn't even when he was famous. And I said, And then Eleni was just like, No, that's not fair. You should have told me. <laughs> <laughs> she got some of his swag and stuff from the um, psychosocial counselor and it made Eleni happy because she felt, you know, this is a part of Sean Mendes. Like he touched it, you know? Oh, that's funny. But yeah, that was a three and a half week stay at SickKids, which we had never done before. We, We were used to going into clinic and coming out same day. So that was a shocker. Um, we were in respiratory for the two, two and a half weeks, but in ICU for the one week but I just wanted to get out of the ICU I'm like we don't belong here I was so confused but from there you know it was hard even when we got home it was really hard because it was like now she couldn't really walk far anymore Mm -hmm. and we had to start physiotherapy which we had never done before so physiotherapist came to the house and did you know all these exercises with her And then she would have music therapy from the PAC team and massage therapy and art therapy come actually to the house and counselors Mm -hmm. come to the house. And she loved it. She was like, there's a party in my house all the time now. But then when COVID hit, everything had to stop. 
And we were petrified of her catching it. My son, I had to pull him out of school. He was in grade nine at the time. He didn't really understand why and how come his friends could still hang out with each other and this and that. And I said, "Mm, no, we've got a, we've got to take care of Eleni, right? My husband, who's a social butterfly, I had to kind of rein him back in and say, we can't be close to people anymore. Talk to them outside, Mm -hmm. but far away, you know, but Eleni had said to me, she's like, mama. COVID times are so sad. I wish I had a pet because then I could take care of a pet and I could play with it and I could take care of and feed it and this and that. And she's, she wanted a kitten. So we ended up in July, we ended up in the hospital again for a second, big, long stay. It was because she had migraines for a a week long, like about a week, which was not her. She had headaches before in the past in which I'd give her Tylenol and she'd be okay. These were not going away. And I was in contact with her nurse and the doctors and they just kind of said, you know, she's been through a lot. I didn't really know what to do. Right. But after about this long, I don't know, something's up. Right. So we went to the hospital. That was our last stay. And we were there for two and a half months there. They found out why she had headaches When they did the CT scan, they found that an infection had gone through her lungs and it wasn't filtered and it went to her brain. So she had three infections. And from there, they wanted to rush her to surgery for the like a brain drainage surgery to stop the swelling and to and then they started antibiotics and everything. But we didn't know what to do. And it was kind of like that was our only option at the moment. And you know, that's what they had to do for these cases. But then when the anesthesiologist came in our room, I had signed the paperwork that they were getting the OR prepped. And I had talked to the anesthesiologist and he said, because her oxygen levels are so low, if I take her in and put her under sedation, I don't think I'll be able to wake her up. I was like, pardon me, what? Both me and my husband were like, there's no way we can do this. You know, we cannot risk this. So we backed out of the surgery and we said, listen, what else can we do? And they said, well, we could pretty much do antibiotics and steroids for the swelling to reduce the inflammation and stuff. So that's what we did. And we were doing it for two and a half months and things were looking better, but she was very tired. The swelling and the inflammation and everything was going down. And, you know, the CT scan after six weeks had shown things are improving. So we were just praying. I don't think I've ever prayed so hard in my life. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not a hugely religious person, I would say, but a very spiritual person. And so I believe in something and I just prayed as much as I could. I was so happy that the results were coming back good. Like, you know, the scans were coming back okay and things were getting better, but she was very tired. And it's like, you don't stop in that hospital, but she made so many friends, the doctors and the nurses. We had doctors, like doctor fellows in the respiratory unit that wanted to decorate her room for her. They used tinsel and they wrote her name and they put it up on the wall, like up on the wall and hung it. And it was just the cutest thing. And she joined in everything she could. She did her art therapy, her music therapy, her massage therapy. She did baking competitions and she won. She Mm -hmm. wanted to do anything and everything. She missed pet therapy, but we did end up getting, so we did end up getting a kitten and my friend actually gave me a kitten. And his name is Heavenly, and my son named his middle name Artyom. 
Mm -hmm. So we have a very funny kitten who got to meet Eleni in the hospital, October 3rd. It was a really beautiful day. Like she was able to play with him and pet him and just look at him. And she fell in love with him. Like I said, honey, do you love your kitten? And she's like, oh yeah. This was after two minutes of meeting him. Like she just loved him. And that was all thanks to the pack team who fought really hard to get her kitten into the hospital during COVID times because they weren't allowing any of that. They weren't allowing yeah. any pet therapy or anything. So I was petrified this kitten was going to escape from the room and just go running down the hall and I'd be like running like a mad woman after it. But thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> but um, I'm very glad she got to meet Heavenly. That's awesome. For about like a week or something before she had passed, she was saying, you know, her little chest was hurting her a little bit. Like she didn't really know. We didn't really know what it was. She's like, I need to catch my breath. Like I need to catch my breath. And I'd be like, okay, honey, like take your time. We're not in a rush. Catch your breath. It just seemed like she was winded a little bit at times, not during the whole time, just at times. And I had talked to the doctors about, and I said, is it part of the medication? Like, and they were frantically trying to figure out, was it a side effect? what can we reduce? What can we do? What can we whatever? And they were on it, but it was Thanksgiving weekend that weekend. So we were going to touch base with them on Tuesday. Thanksgiving was on Monday. When is your Thanksgiving again? It's different than here in the US. It was October 12th um, last year. So, you know, the hospital supplied us with like a beautiful luncheon and my husband went down with my son and we were able to have like, you know, a turkey dinner with mashed potatoes and Eleni loves mashed potatoes Mm -hmm. and she just had so much mashed potatoes and so much turkey and she was like, these are the best mashed potatoes ever, like lots of butter, lots of milk. And she just loved it. And my son was there all day. We spent the day together as a family. I had cut my husband's hair because he had crazy COVID hair. So I had like, I asked my son to bring in the shaver and I just shaved his head and cut his hair off. We came out of the bathroom where I had shaved his head and uh, Eleni just stared at him. I got to tell you, she's never looked at him like that before. She just stared at my husband. Like she was in love. Like she just, and she touched his little scruff on his hair and she just loved it. And I was like, that's so beautiful. And I noticed her looking at him for for that long. Mm -hmm. And my son, he's now 16, but, you know, she got to see him as a man, which is something I'm so grateful for because his voice had changed and we would make fun of Dino's voice, you know, with the squeakiness of it and when it would change on him when he didn't expect it. And and Lenny would just make fun of him and just joke around, you know, like, mama, did you hear that? Like, it just like, (laughs) so I'm just blessed that she got to see him as a young man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she adores my son as well. Like she just loves him so much. So that night, it was just a really hard night. My son had left and my dad had come to pick him up with my mom. They were kind of staying with my son because my husband was in the hospital with me at all times now. Yeah, she just had that moment of, you know, I got to catch my breath, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but it ended up being she had pneumothorax. Is that mm-hmm. what you call yep, it? Pneumothorax. And that's kind of what it was. So that um, was hard. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest thing ever. But 
Uh, you know what, all of this was happening and we had about three weeks of this going on, you know, where she had to catch her breath and then her numbers would dip down and then we'd be like, what's going on? Mm. We didn't know what was going on and nobody could really give us an answer. And we had done chest x-rays. We had done a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I knew it wasn't good. Yeah. Her numbers had dipped really low and they said, well, we can do this. And my husband's freaking out. I said, okay, just try something just because my husband was freaking out and I just you know whatever and I I was losing my mind and the machines are all beeping and thank god the the pack team the lead doctor came in Dr. Adam and he is phenomenal he came in and he said can I turn off the machines please like I think he rushed home he rushed to the hospital from home and he said can I turn off the machine so you can just have your time with her and I said oh my god I wish you would come before like I wish you would come a little bit earlier just to, to save us from all of this. Yes. He'd come as fast as he could. And he said, I'm just going to be outside in the, in the nurse's station. I'm just going to be right outside your door. If you need anything, just scream for me. And we just had our time with her. I'm so glad he did that for you. Cause I feel like in general, we don't always do that for families and we make families make this impossible choice. And we say, well, we could do this or we could do this. Or we could do this. And everyone in the background knows it's wrong. Yeah, they all know it's the wrong thing. And it's not the right thing. But no one it takes a lot of bravery to say to a parent, the right thing is to not do any of that. With all your emotions and all everything running in your head, and you know, it's not good. They said we they said to my husband, well, we could do this. And I said, no. Yeah, you could, but it's not the right thing. And you know, the thing is, is they know in their hearts that it's not the right thing. But you just feel this, well, we have to keep doing stuff. And I, yeah, honestly, I have to tell you, Adam was the, he had gained a relationship with us. The whole team had been such a positive, beautiful relationship with us for about, I guess it was a year. Yeah, Yeah. it had been almost a year. And you just saw the love in their eyes. And when, right? when she passed, I got to tell you, like, my God, all the nurses came in, you know, one by one. And mm-hmm. because you mean a lot to them and she means a lot to them. And it's hard for them, too. It is. And oh, they had to do a lot of counseling sessions mm-hmm. after that, I tell you, like, yeah. And I said, do you guys do this with every child? And they said, not every child. No, they said she was so special. Yeah. And she was. I got to see so many wonderful, cool videos of her. What a cool, awesome kid you had. The best. Like the best. So. Yeah. So talk about this time since then and your kind of grief journey a little bit. So what I found out is you can't go around grief. (laughs) You really You have to go through it. You have to experience it. You have to yell, scream, cry, whatever you need to do to get through it. You know, some days are like at the beginning, my God, I can't even tell you. You'd know. Like, yeah, I know. Your heart has been shattered. Mm-hmm. I think I, I set it up really, really well in that when she was diagnosed, I was having a really hard time because I don't know, motherly instinct. But I just said, I need to help myself. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I just felt it wasn't a good thing. No disorder or no anything is good like that. But I just knew like I had to take care of myself and start taking care of myself because I had I was in it for kind of a long run. Right. So I started Mm -hmm. seeing a social worker 
And I have a social work background as well. That's what I went to university for. So I needed somebody to connect with. And I found this amazing woman. And so she's been in my life for about five years now, just going and getting acknowledged, your feelings, getting them acknowledged and validated. And it's stuff that you Mm -hmm. can't tell your husband, because if you tell him, it's going to break him even more. Yes. That was my escape was going to her. And even if it was just me crying the whole session for 10 sessions, there was a release when you went back in your car and you drove home, you just felt I got all that weight off my chest and I feel a million times better. And I think I can keep going for a little bit longer. Well, I think what's so valuable is having someone that you can talk to that you aren't going to bring down. And I know I've got people that say, I don't want to talk to a therapist. They didn't know my child. They didn't know this. Well, that's what actually makes them more valuable, right? Is that because like you said, there are things that you feel like, I just can't talk to my husband and say this to my husband because it's going to bring him down so much and it's going to hurt him and so then you hold back but you know you can tell that to someone who isn't now going to it's not going to affect them as much right but I mean, also, they certainly feel for you yeah and they feel with you but it's not going to devastate them in that same way like my social worker is amazing and she actually cried with me because she was with me from the beginning of her diagnosis and this is what she has she's been through it with me even though she's not like living in our home you know like she is able to fully understand like our love for her like our love Mm -hmm. for Lenny was like I don't even know how to explain it like we I loved her I don't know (laughs) you know it's just she was such a beautiful little child, right? And you don't want anything bad to happen to them. And you just, your heart breaks for them. And, you know, everything that she had to go through, every poke, every test, every MRI, every CT scan, because she was scared. The Hospital for Sick Kids does an amazing job. They have child life specialists, which are specialized in helping children through these things, through tests, through pokes, through anything that child may be scared of. They have a YouTube station that they have where these kids actually do videos with Herman, who's a talking hand. And Eleni was able to do that when she was seven. It empowers these children and it Mm -hmm. gives them, you know, you can do this kind of thing. Right. And so they do like play therapy with them. And I'm telling you, it's phenomenal. It helped her through every single time. Not that it was fun and they do not Mm -hmm. pretend it's going to be fun. They tell you the truth, which is something that's really hard as a parent as well, because we try and like shelter our children and we try not to tell them the truth, you know, I know we don't want to scare them. It kind of drives me crazy. I'm at the office. I never will lie to a kid. Never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I'm going to freeze a ward off, they're going to ask me if it's going to hurt. And the parents will say, no, it's not going to hurt. And I'll say, and and I'll say, it's going to hurt, but I know you're tough. So I know you can do it. Yeah. So that's what I do is like, yes, but I know you and you're a tough kid, but you can't now lie to them and say something's not going to hurt. Then they don't trust you ever again. So you, you have to get kids trust. And then, then they know me well enough to know I'm never going to lie to them. It doesn't end well if you lie to them. I tried. (laughs) I never wanted to lie. Like I never lied to Lenny. Yeah. 
but I also try to protect her as well. Right. I right, that. Right. And I think that's the parent instinct, right? The parent instinct is to protect. And yeah. I totally get that. But I, I always feel like the better thing to do is to build them up is yeah. to say, I know you can do this. Yeah. And, and I, you know, one thing that you haven't mentioned is all of Eleni's, be- Eleni's beads yeah. that she had. And you sent me this great picture of the yeah. beads. And I think that's a cool kind of thing that they so, did. It is amazing. It's from the Women's Auxiliary that they, these ladies started this program with bravery beads. And there is a list. There's actually like a list of what each bead represents. One is for a Pope. One is for a CT scan. One is for a test. One is for... There's all different ones going into surgery, coming out of surgery, admission, ICU, all that stuff has a certain bead. So each bead represents what they the child had to do to earn their bravery bead. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a child life specialist bead. They start off with like a necklace with like their name, you know, mm-hmm. little beads with their name. And then you get these beads. And Eleni was always always advocating for her beads and she said hey wait a second that nurse didn't give me my bead for that I earned it yeah tell her to come back (laughs) I just think it's awesome Mm -hmm. and she has I can't count them because I just I know what each bead represents so I Mm -hmm. cannot count them yet but I believe she's up to over 600 I'm sure and these children go through a lot you know and they didn't have many hospital visit stays she was always at home with us always like that but they accumulate these beats because they work hard for them and every time a child goes into the hospital they have like a million things to do right right which right, is, right. which is not fun but they kept her going and i mm-hmm. every parent every friend that i've met that has a child that goes to sick kids or if their you know little niece or nephew goes to sick kids i say get your beads. Don't forget to get those bravery beads. You know, my friend's little um, cousin's daughter, I guess, went in for heart surgery. And this little child is a baby. She was like, not even one, I think, when she did her surgery. And I said, start her bead set. Because you know what, she'll have that forever. You know, that means she was brave. She was strong. You know, and Mm -hmm. Eleni would wear her beads. (laughs) We do a sick kids walk. We have a sick kids walk. Um, it's called Sick Kids Get Loud. And we have our team, Eleni's Warriors, which started off as my husband, myself, my son, and Eleni. I had signed us all up to do this five kilometer walk. And it grew. Our group has grown now to about 20 people. So friends, mm-hmm. our friends and her friends and everybody. And we do this walk and we love it. There's like a festival at the end with music and, you know, food and whatever. And Eleni couldn't wait for these walks. They're done end of September. And she wore her beads. But mm-hmm. I remember our first walk that we did, we turned around and there was a baby in a little like a pouch, like a little baby born um, mm-hmm. pouch. And Eleni looked behind and, and she's like, oh my God, mama, look at that baby. Look at his bravery beads around his neck. I'm telling you, it was like maybe five, six times around his little neck, right? And she goes to me, look how brave he is. And he's so tiny. And I said, he is really brave, honey. And, you know, at that point, she didn't have many. She was only seven and she maybe had one strand of beads. But now she's collected over like maybe 12 strands of beads, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just very mm-hmm. special. And actually I had them in her casket when um, we did the funeral because I had them kind of dangling along because I said, this is what she was and what she is, this yeah. strong little girl, you know? And yeah, I had her music therapist play music, like the songs that we used to sing together when it was the visitation time. I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful thing. And, you know, everybody kept saying to me, I think it's the numbness of everything. You're in shock. You're numb. People look at you and they say, you're so, she's so strong. How is she so strong? And it's like, this is not strength, but like, it is just, you are in shock and you've been through a traumatic event to the most wonderful person, you know, in your life. This is your child. You're just in shock. It, It doesn't mean you're strong. You're just doing what you have to do because there's no other option. Exactly right. Right? Exactly right. There is no option. So So when people say, I don't know how you do it, it's like, I don't know either, but I don't have a choice. There's no And you wouldn't either. So yeah, you just keep going. You just keep going. But I think the hard thing, like going back to work, because I've been back to work now maybe a few months. Um, I work in in the school board, as I was mentioning, but I work with kids with disabilities as well. Did you before too? I did. Was this- yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been at the school for about eight, nine years now. I started actually with a school board because Eleni started kindergarten back in mm-hmm. 2013. And I just couldn't let her go by herself. I just was yeah. one of those parents who just started off doing, you know, lunchtime with the kindies, you know, with my own little class. And it ended up being like, this is what I ended up doing. Right. But I, I went back to work like a few months ago and it's hard. I got to say it's hard. And I didn't know why it was so hard. Like, and I said, oh my God, it's because I'm pretending. I'm Mm -hmm. pretending to be the same person I was before. And I'm not that person anymore. Like I was the happy, bubbly person and I've gone back to work and I'm trying to pretend to be that person still. Mm -hmm. You know, people see me and then I feel like I'm kind of like, I'm doing something wrong because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not giving her respect in this way because I'm pretending to be happy so you're you've got a lot of guilt and you're mad at yourself and you're not really sure how to function again right like it's just your world is turned upside down and it's yeah that is just so so normal I have to tell you that's so normal to have these feelings like of just going back and forth in your head like I want to act happy because I don't like the look right the look yeah. that you get from yeah. people that I feel sorry for you that your child is dead yeah. look. So you don't want that. Yeah. So then you're like, okay, I need to turn on the happy and I need to be happy yeah. so I don't get that look. But then you think, wait, now they're looking at me and they think I'm okay. And I'm really yeah. not okay. I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. And I'm really sad because Eleni is dead and my life is never going to yeah. be the same. So now you're feeling like, oh. Now, should I really be putting on that fake? So there, you're really no win. I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of a no win type of situation when you're in that. And I feel like I've been yeah. there. I've been that person on this. How do I act? How do I, how do, I do this? And, you know, I think over time you have to, you start to realize that you need to be your genuine self. It's just having to be okay with people seeing you sad and yeah and trying to also 
because you people will say things and then you will tear up and you will get sad and then they will apologize and I think to tell them don't apologize you know and to say you know what the tears are always right here and you may see me look at me smiling but the tears are always right here so you're not going to make me sad what you may do is you may unmask the what I'm really feeling and that's okay and that's okay and I need to be you have you be okay seeing me get emotional at times you know well I've had a um we our principal went on an early mat leave and we have this new gentleman who's a retired principal and he's come on board and he is awesome uh-huh. he is absolutely awesome and you know I kind of shared my a little bit of my story with him mm-hmm. just one morning you know he he's very welcoming he's like come on in my office Demetra come on in right He's just welcoming like that. And he shared some of his life, something that had happened to him. And we're in tears. Like it's not even eight o'clock, eight, 10 in the morning. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to stop. He's giving me Kleenex and stuff. Today he goes to me again, come on in, say hello, come on in. Right. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, it's going to start again. And he goes, are you wearing your, um, so Niagara Falls, right? Mm-hmm. They have made of the mist, yes. which is where you wear yes. the, the raincoat. Yeah. The made of the mist, um, you go on the boat. So you get all the mist from the falls coming on you. I've been there a few times, actually. Uh-huh. It's like you're on the made of the mist. Come on. It's like, get your raincoat on. Cause he knew I was just going to start crying. Yeah. Right. Like, but it's so nice that he allows for mm-hmm. that. He's know? totally and okay with it. And he cries as well because he's got his own story. So I'm like, you know, I just have to laugh. But you know what? We get better at kind of like picking ourselves back up and continue. Yes, for sure. I mean, at the beginning, beginning, I used to go when I tried to go back to work right away, which was a mistake. I cried between every single patient. And that's not a way to be. I mean, you I that was not a way to function. I was just completely exhausted. Because it took so yeah. much because that's exactly what I would do. So I'd cry between patients and then I'd put it all back on the happy. Yeah. And I'd go in and, and, and you know, if they didn't know me that well, they didn't know when you could get through. If they did know me pretty well, then they'd give me the look. And then I would be fighting the tears the whole visit again. And then pff, I'd be out the room sobbing again. I mean, it. You need to give yourself some grace for that, for sure, because it's hard to do because you feel like, I don't know. But I think it's also like people need to give you grace for that, too, right? Like nobody can put themselves in our shoes because not as many people lose a child. So they really don't know unless you have people around you that do know, like they've actually lost their child, which I've made several friends. Mm -hmm. You've made several friends on your podcast. And they're so precious to you now, aren't they? I mean, they're so precious. They're the only ones that you feel like I can totally be me. I can be me because the real me now can be crying and 45 seconds later be laughing and another bereaved parent will be completely okay with that your guy that you that principal guy he'd be totally okay with that he completely understand if you laugh and cry I mean when he said the maid in the mist comment you laughed because it was funny because it is funny yeah and that's totally (laughs) fine but but the other people just can't get how we can how our emotions can go jump up and down so much and they get so uncomfortable with just how it goes. It just moves so much. But it's very like what I didn't know about grief because I've never experienced grief before. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really, the first time I experienced grief is my daughter. Yes. 
my daughter who's 11 who was the best I loved her we all loved her so much you know what I didn't know about grief was that it's so exhausting mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand why am I so tired? I physically have not done anything. Yes. And I was kind of saying like, if I can wash like the dishes one day, I'm done. Yeah. Like that's a good thing. <laughs> I know. Like if I, if I can just maybe fold the blankets or make the bed, it is physically exhausting. So when I hear people going back to work early, I just don't know how they are able mm-hmm. to do that, right? But I have, I've got to tell you, Marcy, I have the most amazing friends, even though they've not experienced anything like this. They are such beautiful people. That's wonderful. And Lenny passed away seven months ago now, yesterday, or the day before yesterday. And I've had people come with me to her spot. The cemetery is absolutely beautiful. We mm-hmm. picked the most gorgeous spot. It's these old trees, all different types of trees. There's hawks there. There's eagles. There's like there's coyotes. I had a coyote yesterday come right behind me and I turn around. I don't know what said to me, turn around like something. Uh-huh. And I turn around and he's literally like sitting behind me and I like a foot away. And I was just like, I jumped, you know, and I looked <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. But I know and Lenny would love this. Yeah. You know, those coyotes are protectors and they're around her and she they're coming for food. You know, I had brought her a cookie. She liked sugar cookies and she loves sprinkles and all that. And I brought her that to leave yesterday. And I'm sure he smelt it very, very quickly. And he was just roaming around her little area. They don't hurt you, Mm -hmm. but it's a little scary sometimes, right? I was hiding in Banita for a little while. I'm not going (laughs) to lie, (laughs) but it's a beautiful spot. But what I was saying was that my friends have not let me go alone ever. Every day I have somebody come with me. That's nice. You know, they go in their own car and they meet me there or, you know, they pass by the house and we go kind of on our way. But we can sit there for hours and just laugh and cry and talk. And that's been my therapy too. Yes, for sure. You know, I think you need to let it out. And when you have that comfort of these people that come with you, like on a weekly basis and just sit with you for an hour or two, and all they do is listen They don't have to respond. This is the thing with grief. I think you don't have to respond to anything. If you're just listening to me, that's helping me so much because you honestly don't know what to say to make it better because it can't get better. That is the absolute best thing. The absolute best thing is to just sit with someone, to just sit with someone. Yeah. You don't have to say a word at all. It's just so comforting to just have someone just there. Can I tell you a quick funny story yeah, about Eleni? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, she had her massage therapist and everybody kind of coming and she made this little box and it says on top, please take one gift from this small box. Enjoy from Eleni. And she signed it with her kitty cat signature on it and everything. And in the box, she made little crafts. Mm-hmm. So when somebody would come to the house and visit her, she'd always say, don't forget to get something from the box. Mm-hmm. Don't forget something from the box. It's a little gift for you, right? Anything she had made. She loved drawing. She loved everything. So I opened the box. I laughed. This was after she had passed. I opened the box because I couldn't remember what was in it. And she had asked me at one point when she wasn't, after the ICU visit, she wasn't able to walk as easily. So she used her hands a lot. She wanted to do things with her hands. She wanted to, she would take a toothbrush. She would brush dirty shoes she wanted to clean those shoes with some dawn blue dawn Mm -hmm. liquid detergent and dish detergent and she would just wash it up and stuff 
And she'd take my friend's shoes and clean those up too. Very funny little kid, right? She just enjoyed being, she wanted to feel productive. Mm -hmm. She really wanted to feel productive. So she knew she couldn't run around and do stuff. So she had to use her hands. I was thinking of Thomas the Train being a useful little engine. Mm -hmm. Yes. She would bake. She did, she learned how to bake doggy treats, mm-hmm. homemade doggy treats. And our friends have a cafe here in Toronto. And they said, why don't I just dropped them off for their doggy one day, you know, with her little, you know, in a Ziploc baggie. And the doggy loved them, went crazy for them. And they said, have her make some more and we'll sell them at the cafe. <laughs> so she started earning a paycheck. Oh, like, she, and the funny one funny thing is my pediatrician's secretary who I'm friends with she said look what look what somebody brought for my doggy it was his birthday the other day and she showed me like the bag and sent me a picture of the bag with Eleni's treats <laughs> and I'm like what like you got Eleni's treats anyway but she wanted to feel productive one day she says to me mama can you go outside and get me some dirt I was like honey oh dirt okay you need some dirt just put it in a big bowl or something and bring me the sifter. And I'm like, oh, my sifter? Okay, <laughs> I'll bring the sifter. So she had two bowls and she was sifting this dirt. And I'm like, what are you doing, honey? I am going to make the cleanest dirt ever. <laughs> so she sifted that thing maybe 10, 12, 15 times. I don't even know. Back and forth, back and forth. And at the end, she said, this is the most beautiful, softest dirt ever. She's like, touch it, mama. You have to touch it. So I touched it and I'm like, holy man, it was so fine. Yeah. It was kind of like sand. Mm-hmm. So we kept her little jar of dirt, which I found in that little container that she had. And she made little things. She made anything beautiful. Yeah. I looked at that jar when I found it in that little container that she had. And I said, Oh my God, I started laughing and I said, that is the cleanest jar of dirt ever. And I just had to smile because she saw beauty in everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want, you know, people to remember of her, right? Like just anything can be beautiful. And I think now I see beauty in so many little things that I never saw before, even flowers. I'd never stop and like, look at a flower, like, look at how beautiful the inside is. Look at how symmetrical it is right like look at yeah I think we need to appreciate slow down and appreciate those kind of things right because you literally you don't know when it's going to be gone or when things are going to change in your life and your whole world is different well thank you so much for sharing Eleni she was a beautiful soul is a beautiful soul thank you she still is thank you so much Marcy Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.